Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 27. Psalm chapter 27, or the 27th Psalm. And let's consider that verse that we began with this morning, and that we'll finish with now, and see how it applies to our topic at hand. Psalm 27 and verse 4, I read it to you. The life verse of David. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. This is David's life verse and it changed his life and it caused him to be the man that we considered on Wednesday evening. But in order for us to be able to say this verse with him and to practice this verse with him, we need to make changes in our lives to have the time to be like David. When we read in 2 Samuel 7, and it's also in 1 Chronicles 17, that David went in and sat before the Lord and talked to the Lord, you have to have enough time to do so. You have to get rid of enough distractions in your life to be able to do that, or you can never be David. Or be like David. The world wants to engage you in so many activities that you can't be like David. They are always setting their, setting your priorities for you. And they have a whole different set. And this goal here of dwelling in the house of the Lord all the days of my life is not one of their goals at all. It's not even number 20. And so the world is always giving you an agenda for your life that has a different set of priorities than God gives you. The devil is doing the same thing. He's suggesting things to you to keep you so busy, preoccupied, worried, and concerned about things that you don't have time to go sit and commune with the Lord like David did. And then your flesh, which despises the Lord, makes you feel uncomfortable and bored with even doing such a thing. God help us. There's a conspiracy against us, and it's not in Washington. There's no conspiracy in Washington or Belgium or anywhere else in the world that can ever touch a child of God. The conspiracy that's against us is in heavenly places, and it's the devil and his angels, and it's our flesh, and it's this worldly system. It doesn't have any local place. It's all over us. It's all around us. It's in our own community. And so, to meet that goal, and today I give you Psalm 27 and verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold His beauty and to inquire of Him. How do we do that? We have to live without carefulness. We've got to order our lives in such a way that we have time to do so. Look at Psalm 84 and verse 10. Psalm 84 and verse 10. The same man wrote, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. David said that a day in the courts of God, being in his presence, was better than a thousand days anywhere else. Because it just says better than a thousand, it means better than a thousand days anywhere else. Being with the Lord is better. And I'd rather be an usher in the house of God, than to dwell in the tents of wickedness and have pleasure at my disposal. This is the opinion of David, and we want to have that opinion for ourselves. 
David danced with all his might before the Lord. David prepared with all his might for the building of the temple and the gathering of the materials for it. He was able to do those things because he had time to focus on the things of the Lord. But the world and Satan and your flesh are going to try to keep you from having that time. So there's a war that goes on in every single one of your lives. And if you lose to it, you're a loser in life. If you give in to it, you're a loser. If you don't make the right priorities in your life, you're a loser. To live and eat and die is a, is a failure. We want to walk with God and we want to talk with God and we want to fulfill the verse that we began with, Psalm 27.4. Brethren, look at Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18 and see how David's son applied this. Proverbs 18, in order for you to walk with God, you have to commit to it. And it's a major commitment and it should change your life. It means you have to give away time wasters. It means you have to prioritize your life in such a, life in such a way that you have time to sit before the Lord. Right. It's amazing. We have more witty inventions that are labor-saving devices than any generation that has ever lived. And yet, most Americans are too busy to ever give the Lord the time of day. It's pitiful. Amen. It's a disgrace. And they're all losers. If we do not walk with God and use the grace He's given us and have a relationship with Him comparable to David, we have wasted our lives and we have wasted the grace of God. There's no other measure of a life except to walk with God and to be His friend as David, as Moses, as Abraham and others were. Look at Proverbs 18.1. Solomon put it this way, Through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. This proverb, and it is a dark saying, is telling us that in order to intermeddle and seek and obtain and have and mix with wisdom, you have got to separate yourself and be committed to it. Through desire, a man separates himself from all the things that distract him from the pursuit of wisdom. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. In order for us to achieve that desire, we have to separate ourselves from the desires of this world. Or we will not achieve the goal. Chapter 30 of the same book. Proverbs chapter 30. The wise prophet Agur gives us another warning and gives us an example of how we ought to pray. When was the last time you prayed, Lord, don't make me too successful? Because this wise man is going to pray that way. He didn't want to be too successful because it would take him away from that one desire and that is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I, I start at verse 7 in Proverbs chapter 30 where it says, Two things have I required of thee. Speaking of the Lord. This is a prayer. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full... And deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor, and steal, and take the name of my God in vain. What a wonderful prayer. Lord, just give me enough. Just give me food convenient for me. Convenient, so that I can achieve the real important desire in my life. And that is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Don't make me too poor, where I have to be worried about my money. Don't make me too rich, that it might lead me away from thee. What a wonderful prayer. And this is the Word of God showing us how to pray. But you know the, the fear I have...
because I've heard a lot of prayers in my time, and I've made a lot of prayers, we're often praying for more, as if more is going to help us. More isn't necessarily going to help. We want more of the Lord, not more of this world. More of His grace, not more money. More of His personal presence with us, like David, not more things. In Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll not turn you there, the Apostle says we need to redeem the time because the days are evil. How do you redeem anything? You give something in order to buy it back. You buy back time by giving up wasteful, stupid, foolish, vain things that you are doing in your life in order to buy back time to have that time to sit before the Lord and talk to Him like we saw David do in those four chapters on Wednesday night. If you relax in this war, if you relax in this fight, the world will make sure that they give you an agenda that will keep you busy until the day you die and you will have wasted your life. If you relax in this fight, the devil is going to pin you because we're wrestling against him and you better put up a fight by standing on the Word of God. And your flesh does not want to do this. But if we want to be like David, we need to make every decision we make. Is this decision leading me to have that closer relationship with God like David or not? That is how we make decisions. We don't ask the world. We don't say what would be comfortable. We don't even relax. We gird up the loins of our mind and we make decisions that would help us do this better. I think of a woman named Anna. We have three verses about her and that's all we know. We know, we know how long she lived with her husband. We know that she was a virgin when she got married. And every girl ought to be a virgin when she gets married. If you don't, you're worthless. Although God can forgive you, and Jesus Christ died for all sins of fornication, the Bible says, if you're not a virgin, you've been humbled. And when the Bible says you've been humbled in that respect, it doesn't mean that you've learned humility. It means that your value has dropped to zero. But that's beside the point. That's how the Bible uses the word humbled. The Bible tells that Anna was a virgin. She married a husband and she was married to him for how long? Seven years. And how old was she when we met her? Eighty-four years old in Acts chapter 2. But the Bible tells us something about her and she had practiced what I've preached so far. What did she practice? She put the Lord first and so the Bible tells us about her life that she was in the temple daily praying and fasting, seeking the face of the Lord. And so it's no wonder when Jesus Christ is brought in the temple, she recognizes that there's a baby in this house and it's the Lord Christ. And she speaks to all those that were there about redemption that the Lord had sent His Savior. There is a woman, a woman that had a heart like David. She couldn't give the gold and the silver and the cedars and the stones to build up the temple, but she could go in that temple and give herself to fasting and prayer. And she had done that for, let's say, 63 years. What's the average girl in Israel? When did she get married? Maybe 14? If she was married for seven years, then she was 21 when her husband died. And she had been in the temple ever since for 63 years until she was 84 years old, praising and praying to the Lord of heaven. That's setting your priorities very differently than this world would. Now, the Bible doesn't say that every woman's got to do that when her husband dies. 
But when Paul spoke to the Corinthian church, he said, I think I have the Spirit of God, and if a woman did that, she's better off. And then 1 Timothy chapter 5 tells us that if a woman does that, when she reaches the age of 60, the church supports her for the rest of her life. And I'll tell you, no church loses by supporting a widow full time when a widow is giving herself to prayers and the service of God. I say, church wins. Well, anytime the church does what the Lord tells them to, they win. But I hope you're able to see what a victory. That is cheap to have a widow woman that is 60 years of age or older, women under 60 don't know how to pray like women over 60, praying at all times for the church of God. What a, what a wonderful setup that the Lord's given us. Amen. We're told about that woman. Brethren, I want you to come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And there's just a few verses, and I'll take just a few minutes to remind us of a principle of God's Word, and I've already introduced it, and that is, in order for us to have that one desire... And meet that one goal of walking closer to the Lord, we have got to make decisions that free up time to be able to do it. If you relax, you will not do it. And everyone that is a wise hearer knows exactly that I am telling you the truth. If you relax, there is not time left over for the Lord. You know, one of the easiest rules is to do it first in the day. Because if you say, I'll do it tonight... When things have calmed down. Do things calm down at night well enough for you to always have time to do it? And for you, for you people without children, that might be possible. But just wait. The time is coming where the Lord will make it very difficult for that time. So the best thing to do is to get up and start and grab a hold of time before it grabs a hold of you and takes control of your life. First Corinthians 7. Listen to these words. Just a few verses. Beginning at verse 29. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not. And they that buy, as though they possessed not. And they that use this world, as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely." And that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. For us to be like David, and it is my goal and I will not be content until I and you and your children are having a life like David. That is the goal of this church. That we would walk and talk and commune with God as an intimate friend and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would give our lives and souls, time and thoughts, passions and desires to Him and His house. 
That is our desire. That is our mission statement. If we were to ever have such a thing. This passage tells us how to do it. That if you get too involved in the things of this life, it will distract you from serving the Lord. Let me give you the explanation of these first three verses. Verse 29, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. The first three verses are dealing with the time factor. We all have limited time. You, I don't care what we think about in the way of time. I don't care if we think about the Lord coming, death snatching us, persecution coming upon the Corinthians in a serious form from the Roman government. It doesn't matter. The issue is short time. Don't we all know that we have little time? As we get older, we know we have less and less of it. And so knowing the time, this I say, brethren, the time is short. No matter what you want to think about, your time is short. Life is life goes like a vapor. Some of us are closer to the end of that vapor than others. Time is short, so it remaineth that we better live in a certain way. It remaineth that we better make some choices in a certain way to take advantage of the little bit of time we have left. And our goal, remember, is to be like David. And so we've got little time, so we need to make wise choices. Here is how these three verses are to be understood. If you mark in your Bible, you will want to mark the word, the verb, be. It's two letters long, be, there in the last part of verse 29. This I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. The little verb be is a verb. And it makes this last clause of that verse an imperative construction telling you something you ought to do. Because time is short, those that are married ought to act like they're not married. Now that does not mean that we defraud our spouses. That does not mean we divorce our spouses and we all end up single in the church. But it means that everyone that is married takes enough time out in their lives to make sure that they are still attending upon the things of the Lord. If a woman has duties that require 15 hours of her day, she needs to get up then and plan for 16 hours so that she has an hour for the Lord, is what it means. The time is short, so we need to be. When it says, they that have wives be as though they had none. This is an instruction of what to do. This is not descriptive of what was happening. This was an instruction and an imperative verb saying, this is what I want you to do. Because the time is short, it remains that if we're already married, we should act in some respects as if we are not married by attending upon the Lord very carefully. Now that little verb word be is left out of the next four clauses, but it's to be understood by ellipsis. Ellipsis is when a word is not repeated because it would just be redundant and it expects you to understand it. And so here's how the the passage reads. Verse 30, And they that weep be as though they wept not, though the word be is not there. It is to be understood from the first example, which was marriage. They that have wives be as though they had none. They that weep be as though they wept not. And they that rejoice, be as though they rejoice not. And they that buy, be as though they possess not. And they that use this world, be as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. Three verses. 
five things. Five things. Marriage, weeping, rejoicing, buying, and then just using this world in all the aspects that we need to use it. Five things. All five of those things take us away from the service of the Lord. All five of those things would have hindered the Apostle Paul, and he didn't have any of them bothering him. He was going wide open for the Lord's sake, and so those five things weren't limiting him, or hindering him, or distracting him. Those five things. If you're married, make sure that you live in such a way that you have time for the Lord, almost as if you weren't married. I have preached this before, so there's no more time for the details. But it means that you make sure that there is some time for your relationship with God, even though a great part of your life is dedicated to the things of the world in taking care of your spouse. Second, you have circumstances in your life that cause you to weep. You cannot allow the things in your life that are sad and cause you to weep to keep you from serving and loving the Lord. And it deals with something that I mentioned a while ago when we prayed for. You cannot allow emotion and your moods to depress you and keep you from being effective for the God of heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're going to squander your life. Those that weep, be as though they wept not. Those that rejoice, everything in in your life happens good. You might be toward a sanguine temperament, and you think that life is is a bowl of cherries. And the Lord says... Those that rejoice, be as though they rejoice not. Do not let those good events in your life so overwhelm you and take advantage of you that you think everything is fine, that you forsake seeking the Lord. Those that buy, be those that are buyers, those that are in business, those that have a job or a business, be as though they didn't possess anything in this world. Oh, there's wisdom here. And it's all by that little word. Be. You know, if you were just to blow through 1 Corinthians 7, reading it about a, you know, 400, 500, 800 words a minute, you know, you just blow right over those verses and you wouldn't even know what they meant. You gotta go back to that little B because it's telling you to be something. If you're married, be a little unmarried every day so that you can attend upon the things of the Lord. If you're a buyer, be a little unemployed every day so that you have time to attend the things of the Lord. And then it says everything you're doing in the world, They that use this world, be as not abusing it, for the fashion of it is passing away. This is the Lord's instruction to us. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We're in it. We have to trade with them. We have to work with them. Go to school with them in various ways, shapes, or form. Live next to them. We have to go out and buy and sell. We have to invest. We have to borrow. We have to do all those things. But the Word of God to us is be as if you didn't have to. Keep it in its proper place so that you are keeping your first goal first. And that is one thing. Have I desired of the Lord? That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. That is what this means. The first three verses are because of the time limitation. This I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. Because time is short, we need to make our decisions to keep the appropriate focus in our lives on our number one goal. That's to be like David. Marriage was put in its proper place. Negative emotions, positive emotions and the events that are associated with them, buying and selling and being a merchant man in the world, and then using the world in every other respect. 
All those things have to be put in second place so that your first rule is, I am going to be like David. I will not get to the end of my life and hear some sermon like I did on Wednesday night and wish that I had lived the past better. I am going to live today for the Lord by being these five things. If I'm married, I'm going to be as if I wasn't for part of the day because I'm going to keep the Lord first. This is the word of the Lord to us, and it's precious. And it brings us to verse 32, which is the words I want you to never forget. That first sentence of verse 32, but I would have you without carefulness. That's the point he's trying to make. I would have you without carefulness. Carefulness is anxiety, fear, worry, concern about the things of life. And Paul says, I would have you to be without that care. Because to truly serve the Lord, you cannot be preoccupied and burdened down and worried and fretting about all the foolish things of this life. All we need is enough, all we need is enough, the wise man said in Proverbs 30, to survive. And if we can survive, then we can seek the Lord. Because that's gotta be the emphasis. So remember this verse. I would have you without carefulness. And so much so did Paul mean that, he actually put a restriction on marriage. Now, is marriage good? Yes. Does the Bible bless marriage? Promote marriage? When a man finds a wife, does he find a good thing? Yes. But if that marriage is made first in his life, is his marriage then a good thing? No. If he's married, he should be in certain restrictions like he wasn't married, still seeking the Lord. And the apostle goes on to explain that because when you're married, you care about the things of this world. How you can please your wife. You're spending your time with her. You're buying things for her. You're worried about her. You have to be in conversation with her. You have to go places with her. You have to visit her parents and family. Her, her, her starts to take up your life so that you don't have enough time for the things of the Lord. Now you still have to do some of those things. But the point is that you're prioritizing your life to make sure you are always putting the Lord first. One thing have I desired of the Lord. Not two things, not four, not ten. One. Any more than one, you're double-minded. And a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You lose. We don't want to lose. And this is what the Word of the Lord has to say to us. Verse 32, I would have you without carefulness. It explains, He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. He has all this extra time. He has extra emotion. He has extra drive. He has fewer distractions, so he can attend upon the things of the Lord. Verse 33, But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Then he explains the same thing about a woman in verse 34. He comes to verse 35 and he says, And this I speak for your own profit. I'm not saying this because I have something against marriage. I'm saying this for your profit. Not that I may cast a snare upon you, I don't want to make your life difficult. I don't want you to avoid marriage when you need to have be married because I've already told you earlier in this chapter you ought to get married if you need to get married. Even in the situation that was at Corinth. But he says, I want to do that which is comely for you, what is beautiful for your life, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. If you get too caught up in the things of this world, you will not have the time for the Lord and you will be distracted from caring about Him. And so Paul said, I'm not trying to cast a snare upon you. I want to help you have a comely or a beautiful life. And that is by keeping the things of the Lord first. 
You'll use your time better, and you won't be distracted. You'll be able to attend upon the Lord. I would have you without carefulness. The point I'm trying to give you right now is for us to have David's relationship. When we make decisions in our lives, we must make decisions that simplify and reduce our care. I would have you without carefulness. A simple life is better than a more complicated complicated life or one where you're bustling to and fro, going back and forth. We must reduce our care. Now, the Bible is so plain here, it picks on one of its most noble relationships. And that's even marriage. This is one of the places I go to when I hear people railing about birth control. Listen, if marriage needs to be put in its proper place and restricted if you're able to restrict it, then how much more children? It is much easier to attend upon the things of the Lord with three children than it is with ten. You say, I think I can do the Lord and ten. You're a hero of the faith. You belong in Hebrews 11. We'll put another verse in there for you. It's a lot of work. This is one of the places I go, right here. They can talk all they want to about the fantastic spiritual event of ovulation every month, but I think that's a bunch of baloney because I can't read one verse about that in the Bible. What I read in the Bible is that one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. And the explanation of that is even marriage should be kept in its proper place so that both a husband and a wife, though married and though obligated toward each other, always take time to put the Lord first. And buyers and sellers. You know, the Lord says it's a good thing in James chapter 4, if we say I'm going to go into such and such a city, continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, if the Lord will. The Lord approves that. But, if we're going to go into such and such a city and buy and sell and get gain, let's make sure that every day we seek the Lord first above that gain. This is the word of the Lord, or you're getting older, I'm getting older, and our lives will disappear, and we will not have loved the Lord and walked and talked with Him like David did, and our lives will be over, and we will regret it. And before we depart out of this life, Brother Mike, we will look at each other and know that we squandered too many years. And so we have these constant reminders and warnings from the Word of God and from your pastor to me and to you. We can't lose today. Can't lose today. We have got to take... Oh, forget this corporate worship. Forget this corporate worship. You can sit there and warm that foam rubber and not do a thing with the Lord. I'm talking about walking out of here and still having some time today where you look in the precious Word of God and let it communicate with your soul and no one else is involved. And you are telling the Lord you love Him more than everyone else in this assembly. And if everyone was doing that, there'd be a happy pastor and a happy Lord in heaven. Because that's the, that is a good emulation. That is competition that the Lord encourages you in. Covet earnestly the best gifts, he says, in 1 Corinthians. So let's use our time in a way that will keep that life verse of David first in our lives. The world is selling you an agenda of what's important. No one should be offended by anything I say about what the world's agenda is. The world's agenda is that your yard, and, and, and the yard of dreams man in the back, I, I trust him and I know his heart, and he knows mine. But the world's agenda is that your yard should be a showplace, which means that it takes an enormous amount of time out there to pull up every single little dandelion and every other little weed that gets in there, and that you have it mulched and fertilized and sprayed and watered. Well, he'll take care of that for you. 
so that you don't have to go out and water it yourself. The world wants to put on your agenda that you have to have a perfect yard. As an example, there's nothing wrong with the perfect yard. Do I have to spend more time defending myself? A pretty yard is beautiful. Go to the resort over there on Saluda Dam Road and check out the yard. However, while you have a beautiful yard, is the Lord first. See, the world wants to make you a beautiful yard. The car is a late model car and it's in perfect condition. The house is as big as you can possibly afford and maybe a little larger because you never know. Someone, one of your friends might get a bigger one too. And, and he goes on and on until there's no time left in your life for the Word of God. And so it says, while we're in this world using it, let's not abuse it. Be as those that don't abuse it. Let's just use this world for our advantage. And what is our advantage? We're going to serve the Lord Christ. And we're going to use them as stepping stones. Let's use every witty invention they've got and every advantage that we can gather. And let's use it for the glory of God. Do not listen to the world's agenda for your life. Let God set your agenda. We've got to simplify our lives as much as possible. Godly decisions... Godly decisions may cost us financially sometimes. Godly decisions may cost us some carnal pleasure, but they ought to be made to please and honor the Lord. You win. You'll win. I would say that it cost David a little bit of money to give away 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver, iron and brass without weight, and the cedars of Lebanon. I would say that cost him something. Who won? How would you like to die this way? Although my house be not so with God, yet He hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although He make it not to grow. Those be the last words of David. May God grant us such mercy. Amen. Amen.